So Psalm 27, you're like, are we still here? Yes, we're still here. Uh, so we're going to have just this week and maybe one more week here, and we're going to move on from Psalm 27. We've been kind of since the beginning of the year focusing on how do we seek after the heart of God, and we've been focused in on Psalm 27 as the way to do that. So and the, we're going to focus on the last two verses here, and my hope and my heart is that this will encourage you today. My, my hope is that through the words that come out of my mouth today, you will find yourself ministered to by the Lord. That's, that's my hope. I, that's my expectation. I'm going to even put it even, even more strongly than that. And here's what it says in verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want you to repeat after me right now. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now say it again. I will see the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living. Now, wait for it, it says. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. God, I pray that right now, this next couple minutes, Lord, that you would just use the things that come out of my mouth, Lord, to edify and build up your body, to strengthen and encourage and help us to be the people you've called us to be. In your name we pray, amen. So these final verses are what I kind of see as like the culmination of all of these verses here in this chapter uh, of where this person has been going this whole entire time. And I think that these last two verses here is what true faith in God kind of sounds like and feels like. When these words are on our lips, like, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Like, be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. Like, that to me is what real faith in God sounds like and feels like. These are the words of somebody who has sought God, like this psalm has said, over the course of their life. They've continued to seek the face of God over and over throughout their circumstances, through the highs and the lows. And so here's at the end of it what a person can say who has sought God throughout their life. They can say, I know I know my God, and I know I'm going to see his goodness in my lifetime. Like, I know I'm going to see it. It may not be that every single prayer is going to be answered. It may not be that every prayer is answered how I want, but I am confident I will see the goodness of God somehow, some way. This is, I think, like what real faith in God is meant to sound like and feel like. So let me just break this down for just a second. The psalmist says, I will see the goodness of God. So in the original language, this, uh, this has a little bit more depth to it than I will just see something, like I'll just observe something. It's actually talking about bearing witness to something that unfolds in front of you. It's, it's actually talking about being able to know something has happened. Like, not just because someone told you about it, because you got to observe it. There's like a firsthand, like, I will see with my own eyes. I will observe personally the goodness of God. It's someone who's describing something who's, uh, not, uh, who's able to experience it, not just understand what someone else has to say about it. So, for example, have you ever tried to explain something to someone that was awesome to you? And then you try to like convey it to someone else like, oh my gosh, I went to this restaurant and it was so good and they had all this food and, and like you're super excited about it. And then you try to explain that to the other person. They're like, yeah, it's cool, man. It's like, no, 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 no. You're like, you don't get it. 
Let me say it a different way. Or it's like a new TV show or like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's something that's just awesome and you're trying to explain it and the person you're describing it to isn't getting it. It's because they didn't experience it the way that you did. You can give a, a, a firsthand account and say, I think it was like this and it was like that, but, but they didn't get to experience it. You can tell them the best you can, but it's not the same. Or maybe, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but like there's this thing with like kids where they like to watch YouTube videos of kids playing with toys. What? What is this? Like, right? Like, like I, I'm watching someone else have an experience with this toy. It's like, this is like, no, I want the toy, right? Like, and as good as that experience is, as that kid is having with that toy, it's not the same as you having the toy. This is the psalmist saying like, no, I will have the toy. Like, I will get to lay my hands on it. I will get to see it. I will get to observe it. I am confident of this. I know I'll be able to lay hold of it. This is the opposite of someone else telling you about the goodness of God. This is about you experiencing the goodness of God. And guys, this is God's heart for his people. This is what he wants for us that we would have this kind of great faith, that we would see God come through somehow, some way, that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. This is what I think God wants for his people, that, that we live with this level of faith. Now, let me be clear about something, because I, I think that when we start talking about this kind of thing, I think uh, automatically we, we can start to have a reaction like, well, gosh, I don't feel that way. I don't have that level of faith. And so we can start to have a little bit of like guilt or doubt kind of creep in. But here's what I want, I want you to know, that this is not about God having some expectation he wants to put on you, okay? This isn't like a heavy burden where God's like saying, I want to put this on you, that you have to live with this crazy expectation. It's not a burden he's trying to lay on you as though you're supposed to have some kind of superhuman faith. That's not, that's not what this is about. Not at all. Instead, like God wants to lift us from the burden of living with despair. He wants to lift us from the burden of living in, in, in discouragement. He wants to lift these things off of us, not put something on us. So let me give you an example. Jesus and his disciples. You know this story. They're in a boat and they're traveling from one side of the lake to another. And a storm kicks up. And the winds and the waves are kind of like crashing the boat all around. It's a super intense kind of moment. And the disciples, some of whom are like fishermen who have spent their entire life on the water, the storm is so bad that they are freaking out, like hardened fishermen. I've been on the boat sometimes with, with like fishermen, like, uh, and I've been like, hey, aren't you nervous? This boat is doing a whole lot of this, you know? Like these are these guys, but they're not nervous. They're, I'm sorry, they are very nervous and they're very afraid. And so they cry out to Jesus, who is asleep on the boat. And we're like, hey, don't you care about any of this? So they wake Jesus up. Jesus wakes up and it's like, hey, where's your faith? And then speaks to the wind and the waves, and it dies down, okay? So let me, let me just highlight a couple things about that. There's an element of faith that the disciples have in this moment. Who is the answer to their problem? Jesus, Sunday school answer, right? Jesus is the answer to the problem, right? And they know that, and they go to Jesus as the source of who the one, the, knowing that he is the one who's able to solve the problem. 
So, so in a sense, they're doing the right thing, right? When you are desperate, cry out to Jesus. Check in the column, right? That's really, really good. And there are some times in life where all we have is desperation. Like we're, we're all we have is, Jesus, I am in a storm and I don't know what to do. So all I can do is hold on to you right now, right? But Jesus wants something more for them in this because he's the one who wakes up from his little nap and it's like, but where's your faith? See, what Jesus wanted for his disciples is for them to carry the same kind of faith in his heart that he wanted them to have that kind of faith in their heart. He doesn't want us just to live in desperation, but he wants us to live in a place of faith, right? So it's not like the disciples were, were bad and Jesus was saying, you're bad people because you cried out to me in desperation. That's what they should have done. But what he really wants for them to step into is to be in a place of faith where he was, where he wakes up and says, shh, to the storm. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like an incredibly high bar but I want to say it again. This isn't something Jesus is trying to put on you as a heavy burden. Instead, he wants to lift off the desperation. Like there are so many people who at the slightest drop of bad news are immediately in a place of despair. One of whom is right here on the stage sometimes, right? I mean, the slightest bit of bad news. My heart's just all over the place. God, what do I do? Like, right? What Jesus wants is for me to operate my, the climate of my heart to be the same as his heart, which is peace which is saying like, I see a problem. It's a bad one, but I know that God has a solution to this problem. I know I will see the goodness of God somehow, some way in this. Again, there are times where desperation is all we've got and that's okay, but it's again, it's a heavy burden. And so God's heart is that he wants to lift that desperation off us to get us to a place of peace and resolve. It's not something he wants from you. It's something he wants for you. It's not something he wants from you. It's something he wants for you. To live with the confident expectation of something good. To live with the saying, I, I just know that somehow, like, God will redeem this broken mess. Now that assumes there will be broken messes. That assumes that there will be hardship and difficulty and unanswered prayers. It assumes those things. But what God wants for us is to lift it off of us so that we know, okay, God, I know, I know you're going to come through. The question is, how do we get there? So if that's what God wants for us, how do, we, how do we grow into that kind of faith? Well, the answer is above in this Psalm 27. It's a person who seeks God consistently over the course of their life. And I don't just mean seek God for an answer to prayer, but seeking the one who can answer the prayer. There's a difference. There is a difference. There's nothing wrong with seeking God for an answer to prayer. That's good. He wants you to do that. It's the right thing for the disciples to cry out to Jesus when he's in the boat. But what his heart for us really is that we seek him throughout the course of our life and not just the things that he can do for us. And this is what seeking the face of God throughout the course of our life is about. Sometimes that looks like seeking him for a specific thing, but oftentimes it's just like, I just want to know you. Like the, the scripture that, that Trish read about Moses, like, God, I just want to see your face. Uh, show me your glory. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the way that we pursue growing in this stuff, where God himself is the prize and not just what he can do for us. 
It's a lifelong pursuit of seeking his face in the good times and in the bad, in the hard times and in the easy. In doing that, it's like we're building up muscles in our faith. We're strengthening ourselves. We're cultivating trust in God in the daily, in the everyday stuff as we seek the heart of God. You know, when you, when you work out or you lift weights or you go to the gym, like you're building up strength and endurance. And athletes do this so that when they're on the field or when they're playing a game, it actually feels easier out, on the, out in the game because you've worked so hard in the gym. And sometimes, guys, let's be honest, seeking God's face feels a little bit like hard work. I'm just going to be honest. Like the daily routine of praying, of reading my Bible, of, like, of trying to listen for God's voice, all those things can feel a little bit like labor. But what I know is that when I'm really faithful in doing those things, it makes those really big challenges in life so much different. It's much easier to do it there than to decide when the game comes, when the hard things and the difficult comes. Now I have to begin to flex that muscle. That's really, really hard, right? That's difficult. So uh, a few of us um, last summer got together for a person's birthday, and we played a kickball game. (laughs) Kickball was really fun when I was like 10. At 42, it's a different experience. Like, and I like do some working out. I'm not a specimen of health, but I go to the gym. I do some stuff, you know. Uh, I do. I like, yeah, anyway, but I won't go there. And, and, and I was like, oh, I'll be fine. I was not fine. My body hurt for a week afterwards. Like running around the bases, like I'm using muscles, doing things. I'm not like, you know, it's just, it's just weird. But there were a couple younger people who are actively involved in sports right now at like the college level who were playing with us. They were zipping all over the field because they were fit and they were in shape and they were ready for the game. The rest of us were all like, where's the icy hot? You know, we're popping ibuprofen before we get home. Like God wants us to learn through just seeking him through everyday circumstances to build up this spiritual faith muscle that when the opportunity comes and it's difficult, we've got something. That, again, doesn't make it all go away. It doesn't make it easier. But man, like it, it, it's, it's just such a different experience. Seeking after the heart of God throughout your life builds a history with him where you can look back and you can say, yeah, I've seen God answer a prayer like that. I, I know he can do it. In this church, there have been people who haven't been able to pray, pay their mortgage. We prayed, and the money showed up. People who didn't have a car, who we prayed, and a car showed up. We prayed right here in this stage for a man a few years ago, uh, just at, right at the beginning of the pandemic. He's from Hope Co. Uh, he had just had a surgery, and his eye wasn't functioning properly. They were saying it's going to weeks, and not, if not months, before he was going to be able to see out of the eye again. We prayed for him, and his eye, his eye opened on the spot. Jeff Wilkins has prayed for my, my feet that were really, really bothering me. It hurt like it could barely like, like walk without wincing, and my foot was healed. But then there's also been times where like those things haven't happened. And what we've seen is God give incredible amounts of peace in times where people really needed peace. Where we had friends that would come around us and support us in our grieving and our hurting. And that alone is miraculous. Do you know how many people suffer alone in the world? Like, I've also seen people rise up with perseverance and endurance. Endurance. 
and go through things. I'm like, I don't know how you're standing right now. It's like, well, I can see the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing behind you, holding you up and moving you forward. Those are things that you build history with God over time where you can be confident, I will see the goodness of God and the land of the living. How do I know? Because I've seen it before. I've seen it in that person. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it over and over again. Were there disappointments? Yes. But I know I've seen God come through. So how do you do that? How do you cultivate that seeking God? Well, we've done a whole series. So go back and listen to those messages and uh, uh, so, which by the way, by the way, I owe you about 15 minutes of a sermon from last week. Uh, so I, I was like, Hey, it's going to be really practical. And then I did nothing practical. So I apologize. Watch this week. I'm going to send out a video that will be some practical tips on how to learn from God. So just so you know, if you were like, I don't think I got the practical stuff out of the message. That's okay. I didn't give you any. So, so just so you know, there'll be another message that will come out about that last week. If you missed last week, don't, don't worry. It was great. And you missed it. It was awesome. So we'll go back and review those things on how to seek God, how to be with God, how to worship God, how to learn from God. And let me be really clear that the goal here is not to become stoic, kind of unmoved people, but actually to be moved toward God instead of being the kind of person that moves away from God when difficulty and hardship come. That you become the kind of person who's able to bring peace in the middle of the storm. Now, you're the kind of person who sees difficulty and hardship around you and say, I know my God has a solution to this problem. I know he does. But here's the thing, that's not easy to do. It's not easy to become that kind of person who says, I will believe. I believe I will see the goodness of God in the land of living. That's difficult. It's hard to do. The truth is that if you live in this life, Jesus promises there will be trouble. There will be discouragement and disappointment. There will be distraction and hardship. These things will happen. When you go through life having this kind of faith to say, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living, this is swimming upstream. This is going against the current. This is living an alternative lifestyle, the the lifestyle of the kingdom of God as compared to the kingdom around us. This is just, I want to be really, really clear. This is making a conscious choice to say, I will, be, I will surrender to the kingdom of God rather than give in to the way of the world around me. I just want to be really clear. And that is hard to do. It's hard to do. So the psalmist who writes this knows this, and so he ends this final verse with this kind of way of encouragement and this way forward. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, if you know me, you know that the word wait is like a four-letter word. I mean, it literally does have four letters in it, but I'm talking about other kinds of four-letter words. I hate waiting. I like, it just drives me crazy. Like, let's do it. I want it now. I want it yesterday. I'm just, I'm just not a person. I'm not a very patient person. The good thing is, like, the Bible agrees with me on this point, because while it says wait, it's not a passive waiting. Actually, this word is often used in places where there's a predator that's waiting for their prey. I'm like, yeah, I can do that kind of waiting. It's the kind of, it's the kind of, it's a warrior who's waiting to make the right move at the right time. 
It's a person, we, maybe this isn't biblical, but you could kind of connect this with this. Like it's a person when you're playing a game and you're waiting for the right opportunity to make the right move so that you win the game. It's a pregnant mother who's waiting for the baby to be born. How many of you have been pregnant? You know, like that's not a passive thing. Like I've never, yes, Jim, you're right, yes. It's not, it's not a passive thing for the husband either. I mean, you're waiting on the sidelines, but there's a lot of other things that you have to do. There's waiting because you can't do anything to make it happen faster, but you can prepare for when it does happen. You get the room ready. You buy the diapers. You read the how to make your kid go to sleep, and that book should be burned. Like, it doesn't work. You know, you, but there are things that you can do while you're waiting. You can't make it happen any faster, but it doesn't mean being completely passive. So while we are waiting to see the goodness of the Lord, we don't try to make things happen on our own. We don't take matters into our own hands. That's where people get themselves into so much trouble. Take a shortcut. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to take a shortcut here. I'm going to try to do God's work for him. We're not doing that. Instead, we're praying. We're we're preparing. We're tending to the things that we know God has already asked us to do. We're positioning ourselves to see the miracle. Like, um, like Levi climbing up into this tree, or Zacchaeus, I'm sorry, climbing up into the tree to see Jesus, right? I'm waiting for Jesus to come, but I am gonna make sure I don't miss him, so I'm gonna climb up this tree. That's this kind of waiting. What can I do to see how God is gonna come through in this situation? It's not just a passive kind of waiting, but it is still waiting, And then the psalmist says, be strong and take heart. Be strong and take heart. And this is so incredibly important. Because in that waiting, you can get weary. In that waiting to see how will this situation get redeemed? Like, how will there be any beauty that comes from these ashes? It's hard. It's difficult. And the psalmist knows that. But when you hear the words, be strong and take heart, it can almost, again, kind of give you this picture of this stoic someone who's unmoved, but that's not it at all. Actually, in in the Hebrew, in the original language, uh, when it talks about being strong and taking heart, especially this idea of being strong, it's actually one of the most frequent uses is when there's been something that's been broken and it needs to be repaired back to strength again. So when the walls of Jerusalem are broken They need to be repaired so that they can be strong again. When a a bone in your body is broken and there's hurt and difficulty there, it needs to be repaired so that it can be strong again. So this isn't make yourself so strong that nothing affects you. It's saying there are times in your life and there's something in your heart, there is weakness there and it needs to be encouraged. It needs to be strengthened. There are weak points in your life right now where, where the enemy wants to get it and bring discouragement and bring despair. And so we're, what we're saying is we're not gonna let them do that. We're gonna put the walls back up again. Not the walls that keep people out, not the walls that keep God out, but the walls that actually build us up and say, no, I am in charge of the climate of my heart. It also has the, the, it's funny because it's used in other ways, this idea of being strong is to seize or grab hold of something. So it's, it's saying, look, seize your heart, grab a hold of your heart when it's weak and when it's weary. 
when you've been waiting and you don't see the answer, when it's been difficult and it's been hard, I want you to grab a hold of your heart and hold on because God is going to come. Because there's going to be breakthrough. He's going to do something. See, when you're waiting on God to see the goodness of the God, you're going to get weary. So we have to be mindful, watchful. We must tend to our hearts. When he says, take heart, it means to strengthen up your heart. Repair the damage. We allow ourselves to be refreshed and restored again. Proverbs 4, 23 tells us that we should guard our heart above all things. From, from it flows everything you do. This is like directly tied to this passage here, guys. Be strong and take heart. Tend to your heart. Don't let your heart be a place where it influences you to not see God for who he is because it's real, he's really, really good. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. God isn't looking for hard-hearted, stoic people, but he is looking for people who will tend to their heart. You are the only person who is in control of the climate of your heart. Nobody else can do that for you. Nobody else. People can point it out and say, hey, there's an area here where you need to be encouraged or, hey, I'm concerned about you. But it's up to, it's up to us to say, God, I need you here. My heart is battered and weary. I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm having a difficult time. Like the responsibility falls on us to go to God. In those, in those moments of weakness. This is not about being strong, stoic people. Remember, it's Jesus who is deeply troubled when he sees a lack of faith in people. It's Jesus who says he's deeply troubled and disturbed when he sees injustice going on. This is not, Jesus was not the kind of person who's just unmoved by his environment. As a matter of fact, he's very moved by his environment. He's the one who weeps over his, his friend Lazarus dying and, the, and the, the crowd that's around that. He's the one that finds himself in the garden saying and, and crying blood tears. God, if you can take this from me, please do it. And he's the one on the cross crying out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Right? He is so incredibly moved. So he's not asking you to be a kind of person that's unmoved by your surroundings. But what we see in the life of Jesus is someone who never gave in to that level of despair that it stopped him from doing what he was doing. Even at his darkest moment, he knew that there would be redemption here. Guys, the resurrection of Jesus is the defining thing about all of reality. It is the defining thing of all of reality. It means there is no situation that God can't undo. God will reconcile and redeem and restore all things. This is the conviction of Christians from the earliest days. This is why you have people singing songs and hymns while they're about to be stoned and martyred by Nero and other, other Roman emperors. This is even now why you see Ukrainian Christians worshiping together while bombs are going over their head. There's something worth living for. This is why you have Russians who are on their knees getting arrested as they're praying for their brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. This is, this is worth it, guys. These are people who are saying, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And the things that I don't see, because it won't all be true, I know I will see on the other side. And that reality is breaking into this reality. And so we get to live with incredible hope. 
Jesus never let his heart be persuaded that he wouldn't see the goodness of God in the land of living, despite the despair, despite the hardship. He refused to see himself as a victim, and instead he trusted God that he would bring the victory. And that's so hard to do. So how do you do this? How do you, how do you begin to tend to your heart and to be strong and have your heart be encouraged? Well, I think one of the best things that we can do, and I'm learning this more and more, is to remind myself of the testimonies of the thing that God's done. Do, do this experiment with me right now. Put your hand over your heart. Right now, your heart is beating without you even thinking about it. Right now, there's a process going on in your body that the Lord set in motion that causes you to not have to do anything to stay alive in this moment. Now take a deep breath in. And breathe out. The whole entire time you've been sitting here, you've been breathing in and breathing out and not even thinking about it. You are a walking miracle. You are a walking miracle. The, the, the chances of you existing are in the billions to one probably even greater than that. You are a miracle sitting here in this room. And if you can't ever think of another testimony, all you have to do is put your hand on your heart and say, I, I'm a miracle right here. I'm, I'm a miracle. That's not to mention all the things that you know you've seen God do. The answers to prayer, not only in your life, but in the answers to prayer in other people's life. The way you've seen God showed up in other people. That's why being a part of the body of Christ is so important because it's easy for me to get distracted and discouraged with the stuff that's going on difficult in my life, but I need to hear the stories of what God is doing in other people's lives. I need to hear the testimonies of redemption, that Jesus can radically save people that he can change human hearts. Like I need those testimonies in my life. So if I intentionally give myself over to learning testimonies, to hearing testimonies, to witnessing those kinds of things, it, man, it just bolsters up my faith. Another thing I, I, I've learned to appreciate is recounting the promises of God in scripture and the promises that have been spoken directly to me. What's God said about this? What has he said directly to me about this? So I, I try to keep track of those things. So when I find myself discouraged or disheartened, the way that I take heart and be strong is I remember what God has said. I say, God, would you help me see this in my life? I want to see these things that you said in the land of the living. I'll, I'll tell you guys that the driving, the driving force in my life is I want to see a community that looks like Acts 2. I refuse to relent. I will see this in the land of the living. And so I have to remind myself every day, Jesus, this is possible. You did this. And I want this. Right? I know it's in your heart to do this. So let's, let's do it, Lord. I know I'll see the goodness of the Lord of the land. And I review those prophecies, words of encouragement. We believe here that God speaks to us for the sake of other people. And so anytime you can, when someone offers a chance for you to like get a word or a prophecy or something like that, you do it. They're not right 100% of the time. But even if it's 50% of the time, I have 50% more than the person who doesn't do it. 
You see what I mean? I see 100% more than the, than the person who doesn't do it. My math is not so good, guys. <laughs> the other part, guys, is that as I conf- you learn to confess and ask for help. When you can pick up the phone and say, man, I just can't do it today. I know I'll see the goodness of God in the land of living. I know I will, but I'm having a hard time believing it's true today. You've got to have some people in your life who you know you can call, who won't judge you for it or condemn you for it, but say, come on, bro. Come on, sister, let's pray. Let me, let me just hear, let me hear about it. And then I don't want just people in my life who just show me empathy while that's great. I want people that will also say, take heart. Be strong. You will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. This is what separates us from the world. We live on the promises of God, that our hearts are encouraged and lifted up. We, we, we know we will see victory. But I've got to be around people that help me with that. So do you. The last thing is I guard the input in my life. I guard the input. Um, just real practically, there, there's some music that I really like in my life, like, you know, just songs that I like, that at certain parts of my life, I can't listen to. I just know that this is not good for my heart and my mind in this season. I, I just can't do that. There are times in my life where I'm like, I got to turn off the news. This is not good for my heart. If, I'm, if I pay attention to one more headline about one more thing, it leads me to a place of despair, Right? There are certain times in my life where I have to be careful about who I share what with, right? That, like, this is not something that's safe to share with other people. I need to go to some trusted people who I know will love me and, and hold this, right? But, but I need to guard that input because the reality is, like, I don't need you to... I'm not going to go there. Just, you gotta, you've got to guard that input. Careful about the books that you read. Be careful about the podcasts that you listen to. Be careful about the music. I'm, uh, you guys know that we're here. We're, we're not the police around these kinds of things. You are in charge of your hearts and your mind. You are in charge of what gets in and, and how that sets up in residence in your life. There are times in my life where I love to read books from opposing views of things that I'm wrestling with and thinking about because the climate of my heart is in a good place to engage with those things. And there are other times where it's like, I cannot read this right now. Even really good things. The first time I read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship, I threw it down. I was like, I can't read this. This is too intense for me. Later, I picked it back up and was like, yeah, I'll give my life to this. But there was a time where that wasn't the case. Like, you are in charge of the climate of your heart and your mind. So you got to guard the media, the voices, the people that you surround yourself with. And be very, very clear. I'm not saying that you should separate yourself from people. I'm saying be aware of how they're influencing your mind and your heart. That's all. Just be aware. Guys, here's what I would say. I think that God wants this for us individually. I think he wants us to be the kind of people individually He wants us to experience the goodness of God in the land of living. And he wants that to be words that are on our lips. I will see the goodness of God in the land of living. And to be people who will be confident in that. 
I think he wants that for you as an individual, but I also think he wants that for us as a church family. To be able to look at the needs in our community, to look at the needs in our neighborhoods, to look at the needs in our school, to see the situations around us that seem like they have no hope and say, I have hope. This is not a hopeless situation. Every time someone comes to Jesus and like, well, Jesus, I don't know if you can do anything about this. He's like, yeah, I got it, right? Like, what does it look like to live with that level of faith in our heart? I think he wants a community of people who will go after giants and say, no, my God has this. To have our eyes and our ears aware to the situations around us and the problems around us and say, my God is big enough to tackle this. But that only happens if you've cultivated that in your life personally. It's the only way it happens. So we're going to wrap it up. But my guess is, my hunch is, there are some people here in the room today who you're feeling a little bit discouraged, feeling a little bit battle-weary, you sing a song like Get Your Hopes Up, and you're like, yeah, I really want to do that. But you're just having a hard time getting over that hump. And if that's, the, if that's the case, we would love to pray for you today. We would love to just bless you and pray over you and ask God to fill you with something new. That God can begin to restore and repair the broken walls in your heart. And let today be a day where you start that. So would you stand? And I'm just going to pray a prayer. I'm going to dismiss us. And as soon as I do, if you'd like prayer, come forward, and we'll have a few people up here that will be ready to pray with you. Don't leave here today with any discouragement in your heart. Don't do it. Jesus, you are the author and the finisher of our faith, and you do all things good. We can trust you with our very lives. We can trust you with our soul. You are a good shepherd. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would shepherd our souls even now. And that you would guide us into places of freedom and knowing I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that you would would put upon people's heart to come forward who need prayer today before they leave this place to receive something from you that only you can give. Lord, and I pray that we would be the kind of community that encourages one another to go after all that you have for us. Lord, and let there be no shame and no condemnation when we fall short because your grace is sufficient. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Go into the world, be missionaries this week. If you need prayer or want prayer, please come forward.